All right, we are in the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 3. Today we're covering verses 12 through 17 of the book of Colossians chapter 3. Let me just get my clock here, and then I'm going to be ready to rock and roll. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Let's read that first, church. So, if you know anything about Paul, when Paul speaks, you don't get done and go, gosh, I wonder what Paul means. <laughs> Paul says what he wants to say, and he doesn't mix his words. You walk away going, I'm clear. I love that about Paul. Paul does not mess around. He's got some good words for us, church, some amazing words, some critical, necessary words for the church in these verses today. Amen? Let's read Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. He's talking to the church. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of kindness. Put on a heart of humility. Put on a heart of gentleness. Put on a heart of patience. Oh, verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive one another. We have to tolerate one another. That's what that says in verse 13. We have to put up with one another as you guys put up with me. And some of us put up with you. (laughs) Beyond all these things, verse 14 says, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Did you know that we are called as the church to unity? We're called to that. That's our job description in the church, church. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, as you teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Church, whatever you do, 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 in word or deed, verse 17 says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus to bring glory to his name. Amen? What's happening here in many parts of scripture is, we're going to recap here real quick. And so, go ahead and put up that next slide about what Paul's doing is he's transitioning in in, in chapters 1 and 2. From our identity in Christ to our activity in Christ. It's like, okay, I'm a Christian, now what do I do with that? Right? Transitioning from identity to activity or from our position to our practice. Oh, I know now that I'm saved through the person of Jesus Christ. I've been declared righteous. Great. Now what do I do? I know my position in the Lord. Now what is my practice for the Lord? And so many of us struggle with one or the other. Many people struggle, struggle, struggle to put their position in Jesus Christ. And they finally surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And it takes either years or decades for them to do so. But once they do, they practice the things of God. And that seems to be easier for them. Some people easily commit their lives to Jesus Christ. They easily accept their position in Christ. But then they struggle in the practice of their faith. Maybe that's you. We're usually one or the other. The disciples readily follow Jesus Christ. They readily put their position in Jesus Christ, but their practice needed some help. Paul fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it, but once he committed and put his position in Christ, he readily practiced the things of God. So we're just different. 
And so then we surround one another as each of us grows and matures in that way. So in chapter 1, it's all about position. Check out our position in Christ. Look at chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 13 and 14. Here's our position, church. This is just a reminder before we get into our verses. Many of us understand our position. We like our position with God through Christ. So verses 13 to 14. He rescued us from darkness, and he transferred us to light in whom we have been redeemed and forgiven. That's what verses 13 and 14 says, that we've been rescued, we've been transferred, we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven. And it says that he did that. That's now our new position. Hmm, Okay. What about verse 22? Also of chapter 1, go to verse 22. He has now also reconciled you. See, there's a problem. The sin separates us from God, and Christ reconciles us back to God. So he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through his death on the cross in order to present you before God. How? Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Our position has completely changed. Glory be to God that our position in life has changed. Look at chapter 2 about our position. Chapter 2, verse 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where your treasure is found. The treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that gets all of our attention. That gets all of our affection. Look at verses 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made perfect mature, complete. That's our position through the person of Jesus Christ. Blows my mind. So now in chapter 3, which Pastor Doug so eloquently led us into last week, he covered verses 1 through 11. If your Bible's like mine, we preach out of the New American Standard Bible. If you need one, there's one in front of you. But above chapter 3, it says, put on the new self. And so now that we understand our, um, our position... He wants us to understand our practice. There's something to do. There's something to put on. Okay? Look at verses 1 and 2. If you have been raised up with Christ, oh yeah, that's me. I have a new position. Keep seeking the things above. That'll never stop. The minute you put your position in Jesus Christ, you must keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking the things above. It'll never stop. Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above. Keep seeking, set your mind. Keep seeking, set your mind. Wake up every day, keep seeking, set your mind on things above. Because if you don't, you'll start thinking and seeking the things down here. Look at verse 10. Put on the new self. That new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're being renewed day by day. Church, let's pray. Almighty God, we, Lord, I don't know if we can come up with the right words to express our gratitude that you changed our position before the, the Almighty God because of what you did on the cross for us, because of what 10 people are going to articulate today through this thing called baptism. They understand that their position has changed and they're, they're so grateful and they've declared that they're disciples of you because you've changed their position. Lord, how can we ever come up with anything that measures up to what you've done for us? Lord, we just say thank you. As much as we know how, we say thank you. But Lord, you've called us to certain practices as as followers of yours, as the church. And we want to do that well, Lord. 
in reflection of how deeply grateful we are. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you help us to do that. Help us to do that well. Help us to do that in a way that puts a smile on your face, that blesses other people, that's Christ-like in our character. Help us to do that. Help us to practice our position. Please, Almighty God, we pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, when you're sick and you go to the doctor, the doctor diagnoses your ailment and then prescribes a treatment for your illness, right? He or she gives you a prescription for some medication. (laughs) The doctor gives you everything you need in order to feel better. But you got to work it out, right? In other words, you've got to go to the pharmacist, you've got to get the prescription filled, and most importantly, you got to take the medicine, right? You see, God knows how to measure whether we value his salvation, our position. Because if we do, we work it out. If we value it, we work it out. If we don't value it, then we don't work it out. We ignore it. We bypass it. We marginalize it. But what we don't do is we don't work it out if we don't value our position in Christ. I want to reread our text. Let's reread verses 12 through 17 of Colossians chapter 3. Okay? Verse 12. So... As those who have been chosen of God, okay, so so far you've got to determine if that's you or not. That's most of you, maybe all of you. Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. You've got to work it out, church. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Wow. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Don't let anything else rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, church, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Church, whatever you do in word or deed, with lip or life, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. My beloved brothers and sisters, may our lives be a demonstration of just how much we value the position we have in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good word for us? May our lives be a demonstration. People are going to demonstrate today at baptism that they value their position in Jesus Christ. If we value it, we work it out. If we don't, we don't. If our practices, if our practices don't align with the position that we claim to have in Christ, then we have no other alternative than to question either our practices or our position. Right? They both can't be true. We'd have to question one or the other if they don't match. Because of our position in Christ, Paul doesn't mess around. He looks, he's going to, we're going to look at appropriate expectations that Paul places upon the life of the believer because of our position in Christ. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3, which was covered last week. Twice Paul's going to say you got to put off certain things, then you got to put on other things. The first two are put off. Look at verse 5. 
Verse 5 says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Put those things off. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Put those things off. This is an appropriate expectation for the practices of the life of a believer. Look at verse 8. We've got to put off the things of verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. What, put what things aside? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And Paul says, put those things off and put on different things. Look at verse 10. He says, put on, verse 10, and put on the new self who's being renewed according to the image of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then similarly in verses 15 and 16, when he says let, that's like put on. Put on, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16, put on, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then he sums it all up in verse 17. He's saying, church, whatever you do in word or deed, make sure you're doing it to bring glory to God. See, here's the reality. The Christian life is a life of both response and responsibility. It's a life of both response and responsibility. We choose to follow Christ. That's our response. I choose to follow, and then we become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's called responsibility. So when Jesus was, you know, going to recruit his team, he said, what? Follow me. Did he stop there? What did he say right after that? And I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus said, follow me, response. And then the responsibility is, and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you not just disciples, but disciple makers to help multiply the kingdom of God, to become disciples. We have a responsibility, not just to follow, but to become fishers of men. Wow. Ordinary guys. Paul called on believers. That's what he's doing here. Paul called on you and I. He called on believers to take decisive action for their lives. The Lord calls believers to take decisive action. I would encourage each of us to take decisive action for our Lord who took decisive action for us. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Right? We're getting out of the position into the practice. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, right, your position, then keep seeking the things above. Set your mind, verse 2 says, on the things above. Celebrate your position and, man, get into the practice. How are you and I progressing, I wonder? (laughs) From the put-off list to the put-on list. How's that going for you? How's that needle moving? How's that putting-off doing and how's the putting-on doing? How are we progressing from verses 5, 8, 9 to verses 12 through 16? I think many of you are doing really, really, really well. You might be lying to me, but I think you're doing well from what I can tell. I do. Let's read verse 12. Let's start toggling through these verses one at a time. Verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved... 
put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. (laughs) What a list. What a list. Those five things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do those words describe you? I heard a few giggles. I'll take that as a yes. Do these words describe you? Do they describe most of the people that you know? Thankfully, here's the good news. Check this out. I got good news for you. Thankfully, putting on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience is not expected of everyone. See, Paul reveals who it's expected of in the first part of verse 12. Hey, as those who have been chosen of God, that's who it's expected of. Chosen of God is those people who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. God chooses us if we do that. So if you're a believer, then this list is for you. If you're not, then you're off the hook. It's your choice. Renounce your faith. I can't do those five things. I leave Jesus. I I don't want you to do that. That's a joke, right? But that's the good news. It's not for everybody. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, if we're chosen by him, then it's an expectation that Paul has on our lives, that the Lord has on our lives. Hmm. If we identify ourselves as those who have been chosen of God, then a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience must be identified with us. If we identify ourselves with him, then that list must identify itself with us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Even if you're faking it. This word holy, which is also in verse 12, those who have been chosen, holy and beloved, this word holy that Paul throws in here means, it means dedicated. As God's people, we become dedicated to a new way of life. Did you know that? We're holy. We're set apart. We're dedicated to a new way of living. But what's amazing to me is we're given the capacity to be those things. He wouldn't ask us to do and be these things, to practice these things, without the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to do and be those things. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord, that you don't ask us to do what we're incapable of doing. He gives us the capacity to do and be those things. Go back to verse 6 of chapter 2. Go back to verse 6. That's what he means in verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk according to the walk that Jesus walked. He gives us the capacity. He calls us to follow and gives us the capacity to live and practice like he desires us to. Verse 13. Let's read verse 13. (laughs) Bearing with one another. And forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So Paul continues the five things that he lists in verse 12. He continues and he adds two more. Paul adds two more. Paul, stop writing. I'm still working on the first of the five in verse 12. And he adds two more. Fittingly, Appropriately, verse 12 ends with which word? Patience. 
And then he gets into bear with one another and forgive one another. What does the word patience really mean biblically? Long, long suffering. Patience just sounds better. Long suffering sounds horrible. I would rather be patient than long suffering. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer short term. I sure as heck don't want to sign up for long term suffering. Who does that? But patience means suffering. It means long term. Long suffering. God's probably been suffering with you for a long time. He's got things that he's like, when are they ever going to get it, man? Right? But he loves us no different. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, so he suffers long. And he says that we're to do the same thing to one another just as he did for us. Wow. So, he adds two more powerful and challenging commands to bear with one another and to forgive one another. But I'm going to remind you of the good news. I want to remind us of the fact that bearing with one another and forgiving each other is not commanded of everyone. The same applies to the last verse. It only applies to those who fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's not you, you're off the hook. You don't have to bear with anyone. You don't have to forgive anybody. You're off the hook. Isn't that great? But if you belong to Jesus Christ, back on the hook. (laughs) God is so good. Paul ain't messing around, man. I love that about Paul. I know what Paul's telling me. I don't have to read between the lines, man. There ain't no lines. Paul, give me some lines. Maybe I can misinterpret it. (laughs) So if that's us, and that's us, Paul gives us the standard to which we're going to be measured against. Look at the end of verse 13. I'm going to read all of 13. So we're going to bear with one another, and we're going to forgive each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. How? Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. That's the standard. Well, how am I supposed to forgive? The same way that the Lord forgave you. The exact same way is expected of us in the body of Christ. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Does that seem unrealistic? Did, did, Did Paul, was that a misprint? Is that a typo? Does it seem unrealistic that Paul would say that in those two verses? Does it seem unfair? Or does it just seem undesirable? Oftentimes it just seems undesirable. I want to forgive somebody. They've wronged me. Imagine the heart of our God. I find it amazing, challenging, and encouraging that the Lord has given us the capacity to forgive each other just exactly as he forgave us. It blows my mind. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask us to do it. See, the word forgive means to cancel a debt. It means to cancel a debt. A debt means that somebody owes you something. And when somebody owes us something, we want to get paid. And to forgive means to cancel a debt. You might remember this from chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Let's see what Jesus did with our debt. Okay, because we had debt. Did you know that? Look at 13 and 14. (laughs) When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were evil. He made you alive together with him. And he forgave us all of our transgressions. 
Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, and he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. Wow. To forgive means to cancel a debt and to nail it to the cross and to kill it before it kills you. So I ask, do we forgive in word yet still hold a record of debt in our hearts? Do we forgive in word, but we still keep a record of it in our hearts and in our minds? So let's put 12 and 13 together, okay? Let's put 12 and 13 together of chapter 3. So, as those of you who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Paul lists seven things. Five in verse 12, two in verse 13. Around the fact that's mentioned in verse 13. Around the fact that we will have complaints against each other. That's what Paul is saying. He's throwing seven things out there saying, church, you got to be these seven things because you will have complaints towards one another. It's going to happen. And Paul wants that to be fixed. But in the same way, in these two verses, that Paul builds the expectation for complaints, he builds the expectation for compliance. He builds the expectation. He says, church, there's going to be complaints. Expect it. But church, I expect compliance to those seven things that I just mentioned. Expect complaints, but expect compliance is what Paul's saying. You can expect complaints. The Lord expects compliance to how to respond. What's also significant to note is that Paul focused on the individual who's to have the patience, to have the bearing, to have the forgiveness, rather than the one who caused the problem. That's who the focus is on. Do you know why? Most times the person who created the problem didn't even know they created the problem. It's like, I had no idea that that hurt you or that was misunderstood or you took it that way or whatever that might be. If we hold ourselves responsible for those seven things, then no matter who we're dealing with, we always have a solution to that issue because of the way Paul's encouraging us to respond. Here's what Paul's saying. Christ initiated forgiveness before confession ever occurred. Christ initiated forgiveness on a cross before we ever put our confession of sins before him. He initiated it. He forgave before we even confessed our sin. And he's asking us to do the same thing. Verse 14, church. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put on love. Church, we are, we are to live in the perfect bond of unity or harmony. That's what it says, verse 14. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's interesting that Paul separates and elevates love from the seven virtues listed in the previous two, two verses. And so is Paul saying that those things, those first seven things that were listed in verses 12 and 13, those can be done outside of love. Is that what he's saying? You don't have to be, you don't even have to love to be able to do. You can do those seven things. But beyond those things, above those things, put on love. It'll pull it all together. See, love here is the agape love. And it's a strong affection and regard for a person 
and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. And you can't help but think of Jesus Christ when you read that last part. He forfeited his position as God and came in the flesh and died as a man and suffered for us as a criminal, the worst kind of death, that of crucifixion. See, the easier things mentioned in 12 and 13, those are actually easier than to actually love, agape love. Those things in 12 and 13, those easier things, if that's what you want to call them, see, they help in our understanding of attaining the agape love. They help. Most people, <laughs> most people have birthmarks that are specific to them. Designers are known by their trademarks, and they have logos of various kinds. God, likewise, has established a mark, a very, a very clear mark, by which his children who have been birthed by the Spirit of God, ought to be known. And love is that birthmark. Love is the birthmark of a Christian. If there's no birthmark of love, it's hard to know. Scripture says that they shall know that you are my disciples. How? By the love that you have for one another. Church, let's look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the Prince of what? The Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 15 tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called to one body. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. We, church, are the body, the body of Christ. We are his body. And so peace must rule because he is the prince of peace. He's the head. We are the body. He is the head of the church, and we are the the body of the church. There are a lot of things that can rule the heart, but we are to let peace rule. And this word rule means to arbitrate, to decide every debate. So whatever's going on in the church, whatever's going on between us, we are to let peace be the deciding factor. We can debate, we can talk, but when it's all said and done, the thing that rules, the thing that arbitrates, the thing that decides is peace. That's what must rule in the church because Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he's the head. One commentary says this, the closer believers are to Christ and his likeness, the closer they are to each other. Christ's followers who have put on the virtues of verses 12, 13, and 14 are concerned about being arbitrated in every trying circumstance by his peace and not by their wrangling. See, church, (laughs) we're not called into separate bodies. We're called into one body. That's what verse 15 tells us. How it must grieve the Lord when his body, the body that he died for, is not at peace. It must grieve our God. Verse 16. Let's read verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you is how that verse opens. 
Clearly, our verses for today address the importance, the command, and the call to unity, to harmony, and to peace. Clearly, that's what our verses are talking about. In order for this to take place, we must not only let the word of Christ dwell within us, but Paul says it's to richly dwell within us. How can we be at peace unless the word of Christ richly dwells within us, unless we're driven by truth, unless we're driven by the things that please God? See, one of the measures or marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ is submitting to the word of God as our final authority. Let me say that again. One of the measures or one of the marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ is submitting to his word as our final authority. And so as such, a disciple, listen, knows scripture, delights in scripture, studies scripture, obeys scripture, shares scripture, overflows scripture, meditates on scripture, is shaped by scripture, prioritizes scripture. This is what it means to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It's what allows us then, as verse 16 tells us, with all wisdom to teach and to admonish one another. If we don't let the word of Christ richly dwell within us, how can we teach and admonish one another and be at peace? But here's what's really cool. The word is to richly dwell, not not just so that we're a great Christian. That would be an incomplete statement, right? I'm letting the word of God richly dwell within me because I'm a great Christian. Or so that I can be a great Christian. It's The context is let the word of God richly dwell within you so that you're a great Christian brother and you're a great Christian sister because he's talking about peace in the church and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That's why the word of God is to richly dwell within us so that we're great brothers and sisters in Christ, not just great Christians full of knowledge and puffed up. Verse 17 Let's read that. Church, whatever you do in word or deed, (laughs) do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. I wonder, I don't know how we can do this, right? Like if you just, you know, you're about to wind down your day. Maybe you're going to kneel down at your bed and recap the day. And and how, like, right, if we could replay the day and have a tally box, right? Um, The things that uh, I did in the name of the Lord Jesus and the things that I didn't do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you went through your day, well, one for the Lord, two for not the Lord, two for the Lord, man, maybe another one, right? Like, it'd be interesting to know. Because Paul says, whatever you do, in word or deed, right, lip or life, do all to bring glory to our God. Whatever one does should all be done in the name of Jesus for his glory. God help us, right? When we don't properly put off those things mentioned in chapter 3 and put on those things mentioned in chapter 3, then we must be doing those things or not doing those things for self-glory instead of for his glory. Paul put it differently in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says, whether then you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Hmm. Oh, church, I pray that all we do, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do to bless his name. We do to bring glory to his name. Lips and life, speech and action. What a challenge for us. Amen?